Make up your mind that you will rise to the knowledge of your soul. Because of your ignorance, you cannot understand and decide between good and evil. You don't know whether you're doing right or wrong. With a greater knowledge of life, you're able to appreciate all things around you. I'm able to gather you here because I understand you. Understand your neighbor, your wife, your children, and you will be able to live in harmony with each other and get the best out of life. Hello, and welcome back to The Great Return. Uh, today, we're here with Elizabeth Berabose, a female genius, very multi-hyphenated, <laughs> but we won't get into all of that, uh, but yeah. Elizabeth, you want to give a brief introduction on, on who you are? Yeah, thank you for having me. So uh, I'm Elizabeth, uh, founder and CEO of Verabose Design, uh, which is a clothing brand that is 100% made in Rwanda. I'm also a communication consultant on the side. Um, so those are the two uh, aspects of my professional life. Uh, apart from that, I'm just, you know, a female genius, like you just said. <laughs> Uh, multi-talented um, from both worlds of Rwanda and Belgium and just recently came back to Rwanda. Perfect, perfect. So I'm going in a lot of different directions, uh, but to give you guys context, uh, we are currently here in Kigali. Uh, we're actually in the same workspace right now, uh, Norskin. <laughs> you didn't and, have to spoil uh, that. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, now they know. Um, but yeah, uh, we we met here at Norskin, and um, we uh, will be diving into a few different things from where you grew up and uh, the transition back to uh, Rwanda. So I guess to start off in the very beginning, enlighten us on you know growing up and how that was in Belgium. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, to make it clear, I was born in Rwanda and we moved to Belgium uh, when I was a baby. Um, so, I mean, I grew up in Belgium. Yes, uh, it was it was, you know, I, I don't know how to explain. It was a bit um, mixed feeling kind of experience, you know, in the sense that uh, had like well, the opportunity to be exposed to like amazing things, to amazing people, etc. But then on the other hand, um, it's not as easy, especially I think our generation where our parents like moved, you know, in the late nineties, um, just, you know, to kind of like find a better life for us, for the family. And so the only focus was kind of like to adapt. We're going to a new place. Let's just adapt. Let's try to, you know, blend in. Um, and that had an impact I feel, uh, on me personally in the sense that, um, I will go to school, you know, uh, feel like I'm different, being treated differently, etc. And then even when you go home and you try to report whatever you had experienced that day, the parents wouldn't really relate because they haven't had to experience that at such a young age. Because um, it does, it does, you know, it does feel different when you have to experience like all the, the racism and stuff bullshit when you're four years old and you don't understand why, you know, like you do understand your, your different color, uh, but... Um, you don't really even understand why. I remember thinking that I was convinced that black was bad, that white was good, and that when I become a good person, I'll become white. That's like how deep it was at some point. I think I was four or five when I was thinking that. Um, and uh, I remember because people made me notice that I was different, I'll ask, I had another black um, 
uh, classmate. And I'll ask him, like, yo, do you actually know that you're black? You know? <laughs> and it's written in one of my school reports. And I was like, five. <laughs> you know? So I think um, I had to be exposed and really understand, like, my difference very, very early. Um, and can understand that, you know, I probably won't have the same path as my other classmates. And um, I also had also to understand that even in the family or in the black community settings, the other stuff that you have to deal with, even though it's not racism, but then it kind of like comes from racism, the colorism idea that we have to deal with. Um, so it was it was really mixed feelings because there was a lack of, you know, understanding from the people who are supposed to be your support group. Um, and we were among the first, kind of, I, I guess. So it's not also their fault. Um, but uh, me now, I'm, I feel like if I go back to Europe and I raise kids in Europe, of course, I'll know how to address that. Um, but yeah, I think our generation was very much of an experiment generation, kind of. Um, and... I'm grateful for the opportunities, definitely. I'm grateful for, like, all this amazing experience that I've been able to to have uh, growing up there. But then, on the other hand, um, it wasn't such an easy journey. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, you know, on one side, our parents didn't really have, you know, a playbook or anything to, <laughs> to reference, uh, I guess, for raising us. And on our side, we had to kind of figure out how to you know, survive in this whole world. But I guess going back to, to the growing up, um, how much was the Rwandan side a part of your life compared to the Belgian side? Uh, I think uh, on that part, really, um, my mom did a good job in the sense that I understand that as soon as I step in that household, I forget all the Belgian bullshit, you know? <laughs> I'll know that... Yeah. This house, we're not in Belgium. This was like its own little mini Rwanda in Belgium because she made it clear that, for example, as soon as I step that, that door, I'm speaking full Kenya Rwanda. There's no French here. There's no whatever. You won't forget French. You know, it's not going to impact your French skills. Um, but she really wanted me to know and remember that, yes, we're here, all of this. Like, we, I'm surrounded by people who don't look like us, but we still have a, an identity that is like the random identity. Um, and I'm actually happy about it because, yeah, I was, I was you know, I was three and already like bilingual, like speaking French and Kinyaranda at the same time. And I really had that knowledge that if I'm addressing my mom, I have to speak in Kinyaranda. If I'm addressing anyone else, I can speak in French or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, also, you know, um, some parents are really, very, very good at reminding you that you're in Europe, etc. but you don't have to act as those kids. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll go to my friends and see stuff like the way they talk to their parents, and I'll try. I'll go home and then try the same thing. So I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Behold, I'm not one of your legal friends. No, no, you're not going to act as one of those legal friends of yours. No, 100%. Um, yeah, and then, so, I guess, uh, you know, there's the downsides of growing up in, um, you know, in these environments that you know is not technically home right um but maybe if you could on a high level share uh, some of the uh the good parts of, of growing up in in belgium i mean the good part is that i really get you know to be exposed to like re people from 
very different backgrounds yeah, from countries that I, I don't know i didn't even know existed <laughs> or like did you know that a country exists we have no idea like what the culture is like so from a very young age you have like you realize that in your group of friends no one's coming from the same country you know some coming from eastern europe some from like southern europe other from asia from north africa from other countries in sub-saharan africa and i think that really like shaped the person that i am today you know and how I view people and how I do things and just, you know, how I approach people as well. Um, it made me like being a very open-minded person for sure. Um, and then we learn, we grew up already knowing that, you know, people have different cultures and backgrounds and you learn about the culture and backgrounds and you learn how to respect those cultures and backgrounds, for example. Um, and I realized that in the U.S., for example, it wasn't that common because when I went to the U.S., um, and I will explain that to my friends there. Um, yes, I'd be having like an Asian friend, then someone who's from Morocco and me in the middle. And I know that he cannot do this and this and this because his culture is for businesses. I know they do this and this this way, you know. And they're like, wow, like how come, you know, you you guys were all three Belgian? Because we're Belgian at the end of the day. But we have a different culture. We do have Belgian identity for sure. But then we also, like, have another part of ourselves, you know, um, that is very, you know, that is very diverse and also very interesting. Um, and I think that part, I think, was the really the best part. Um, I mean, I'm talking about Brussels specifically because I don't think the rest of Belgium is not really like that. But Brussels specifically is a very diverse city. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I definitely plan to, to visit one day. Um, but yeah, I think we've had a few discussions before we hopped on around, you know, the concept of identity and, you know, maybe not feeling like you belong in some of these environments. You kind of touched on that earlier. Um, but yeah, I guess, spoilers, uh, you decided to <laughs> leave Brussels and move back to Rwanda. But what were some of those core reasons uh, that maybe pushed you away and less so on the pulling factors for Rwanda, but more so push you away from from living there full-time um so at 21 i had a first experience of living abroad which was in the south of spain and that was really my first time being you know no parents no one in a new country living alone and it was such like a beautiful experience that i was convinced after that i wasn't gonna like do my life in belgium you know because uh, I got exposed now to another way of like seeing things and doing things and my my mind completely changed um so when I had to like choose an internship at the end of my master's degree I knew that for sure I wasn't gonna do it in Belgium because I, I was never seeing my career in Belgium um even though me growing up like living there I had I got to like open my mind a lot some of the mindset especially in the professional world are still very close off you know and I wouldn't see myself as a African immigrant kid being able to actually get to my full potential, you know, because at uni, for example, at uni, most of the, the people you're with, they tell you that you don't know better. <laughs> you know, you're not smart. If you do a group project, you can speak. If you have better grades than them, they question it. They're like, how come, how come you, you, you get better grades than I do? Because I'm smarter. But anyway, <laughs> and so I knew that, Growing professionally then, like the career aspiration that I had, Brussels wasn't a place for me to make that happen. So I happened to go to New York for my internship and then ended up, you know, working there and stuff. 
Um, and New York was a really, really good exposure. It also gave me a lot of like role models as like black people because in New York you don't have that many black people who are successful, um, who have this high level position and stuff. So I was able to connect to a lot of mentors who looked like me, you know, and that was such a wake up call that, okay, they look like me. We kind of have the similar backgrounds and they were able to do this. So I'm able to do it as well. But then in the US, there's another layer that comes because I was black. Yes. But then I was somehow European, but then I was African. So even sometimes to the black American community, I wouldn't connect that much because they'll still see me as an African, you know, uh, as like lower than them. Um, and that was frustrating for me because I was like, I thought we were all black. I thought we were all in this together. But I, I see that now there's a sort of like podium. So I was like, okay, let me maybe go back to the roots, you know, of um, of my identity, right? I was still really looking for the identity of being Belgian, being African. So I just decided to come back to the continent. Uh, first stop, Ghana, because a friend of mine was going to go there. And I was like, okay, we'll be in this together. And for me, I thought it would be easier, right? I thought, okay, this is Africa. It should be easier. I'm finally like in the place where I'm supposed to be. But then again, being on the continent, you realize that, okay, I'll be in Ghana and they'll see me differently in a way that, oh, you're very branded like Eastern African, you know? And so you're not like us. And then they'll start talking in their whatever dialect it was that is not English, <laughs> talking shit about me. And the colorism also in Ghana was like on the level that I experienced more than in Europe and the US, you know? And 90% of the community is dark-skinned, as dark as me. And it's just that they still have that, I don't know, that colonized mindset, I guess, that whatever is lighter is closer to white and is better. And I had experience of like, um, when I was doing the my fashion design training, the teacher who's darker than me will, for example, address my light-skinned friend, but just to talk about me. <laughs> it was so weird. Instead of like asking me the question directly, he'll just go to her and be like, yo, can she do, do this and this? And I'm like, I'm right here. And I was a bit frustrated because I was like, those are my people. Like, I expect that from the white men in Europe and the US, but I don't expect that from my people, right? So then I came to the conclusion, okay, maybe it's not just the whole Africa, but maybe let me go back to my home home. And that's how I decided to come to Rwanda. Have I found my identity? <laughs> Did I answer those questions of like, where do I belong? Not at all. Uh, I'm slowly getting there. Um, but I think my conclusion so far, uh, it's been two years now that I moved back to Rwanda. My conclusion so far is that my identity is not definitely defined by a place, you know, by a country, by a continent, etc. My identity is, I define it, you know. Um, and because I was always looking, okay, where where is home? You know, is home Belgium? Is home Kigali? Is home where whatever person I love the most is actually no, because all of these things you can you don't really control them. You know, you cannot control a place, an environment. Uh, if you decide that home is a person, your mom or a lover or something like that, what if that person disappoints you one day? You know, you cannot control that as well. The only thing I think that you have control over is like yourself. Um, and so I came to the conclusion that my home was myself at the end of the day. So that's why I am today. <laughs> that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, you are. Uh, I feel like you're an interesting 
example because you know you had the European experience, you see New York, you know, worked in that type of corporate environment and, you know, saw the pros and cons of that. You know, you've experienced part of West Africa and then now, you know, returning back to your home roots of, of Rwanda. It's like you said, uh, you know, you weren't able to find your identity within these different locations. Um, but at the same time, I think experiencing that kind of sounds like opened up your eyes to the true answers, correct? Exactly, so, exactly. So yeah, talk to us about the return back to Rwanda. You said it's been two years. What's uh, it's been the best parts and uh, what you know has some room for improvement? Uh, I think when you when you come back, you know, the first months are, I don't know, you you you're discovering things. So everything looks magical. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. You know, you. you you're calling your friends like what are you guys doing over there just come here like this is the place to be um and that phase is gonna die for everyone there's no person who moved back that hadn't had that you know <laughs> had that moment with things crumble and you actually realize you know the wrong things um the things that could be improved uh and i think that moment uh talking with other people who, who who had the same journey of like coming back here, it takes a huge toll on, on, on your mental health, you know, in the sense that you had so much hope for this. You were so happy at the beginning. It's like you get to like in a high that's all there uh, because it's new, you know. Um, and then when that high like starts going down, uh, it's pretty, pretty hard to handle um, on the mental level, on a personal level especially because you're in a new place also. So you don't have your, your support system, you know. Um, if I'm in Brussels and things go south, I know that my support system is there and that is fine. So what happens when you're in that new place in the whole of the continent and the people, you know, that's, that are usually there are not there? Um, and what what is lacking, I think, it's that community, you know, because we, we, we all have a lot of us experiencing the same thing. You know, a lot of us decided to come back. A lot of us experienced that, but very few talk about it, you know. Uh, they keep it to themselves or maybe they'll share with the people home. But I feel like even the people home won't be able to understand it the way we understand it, you know. They, they picture it, you know. They picture it. You can tell them what is going on, why you're sad, what this and this, but they're not living it with you, right? As of if us, you, me, other people who are here at Norskin, who also came back to the continent, we decide like to have a strong community that can actually like talk to each other, um, that can sort of be like a support system for each other. I think that would be like that would be a good solution, or that will help, you know, because personally, like handling that by myself alone, twenty twenty one, that moment when things went south was the worst year of my life literally worst year of my life i thought like covid was bad covid was actually pretty fun <laughs> you know um so yeah i think um we don't we don't talk we don't talk enough about um the mental health consequences of like making such a big return um and that moment you realize that it's not it's still not a perfect world yeah 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 i think you and i kind of took the extreme approach of you know going all in and fully moving to a 
whole different country. And I, I felt, you know, similar emotions where, you know, in the beginning, it's feels like a high and, you know, you're on top of the world, you escaped corporate America. <laughs> and uh, to an extent, you know, you're trying to, um, you know, recruit as many people as possible. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be moments where you realize maybe you bit off more than you, you can chew. And, uh, and yeah, it just can get overwhelming at times. But I like your idea of, you know, having a support group or, you know, people who are kind of dealing with the same thing. So that way, you know, that, you know, you're not the only person dealing with it. So I don't know if Norskin is listening, they need to <laughs> get us to, to create something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Uh, so moving on to, um, what you're working on now. Uh, so you're the founder and, and CEO of Better Bosa Designs. Um, you're also, uh, you know, doing your design consultations for, for different companies. Um, how has that experience been and um, how is it, how do you think it's different than if you were to do it maybe in a different country? Um, I think the environment is pretty welcoming to new ideas, definitely. Um, that is the difference. Another difference is that, uh, you know, um, the market is not saturated as it is in, in the West, for example. So there is really like space for innovation, for testing out ideas that, you know, you wouldn't be able to to test um, in other countries. Um, so I think on the professional professional side, honestly, um, I've been both happy and frustrated. <laughs> frustrated in the sense that sometimes you still need to have that cultural adjustment uh, and then remember that, you know, you're dealing with people who really don't have the same background and things like that. That's the challenging part. Uh, but other than that, I've never felt, you know, as, how do I say, as confident about my ideas, you know, that I feel here. Because uh, one thing is that I don't really have to think that I'm black because <laughs> everyone looks like me or most of the people um so when i enter in the room i don't have to think oh yeah i have to win the back because yes again i have to leave space for you know other people um that that's really I've, I've been i think it has really empowered my me uh, professionally but then um the problem these days is that you know when you're a business owner where you know you, you doing all these amazing creative ideas that's what people see that's what people know about you and then that's it you know and i think something that is very important is in this journey is to remind people that yes we all came here to create something great innovative and then empower communities and stuff but let's not forget that we're humans as well you know um so i'm a founder yes i'm a designer i'm a consultant i'm whatever you want creative director name it <laughs> But before that, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a woman, I'm a human, you know, I'm, I'm a human, I'm a woman. Um, and that aspect, I feel like we need to emphasize it more, you know, because uh, whatever people go through, some of the things people go through on a daily basis, even though they're not CEO and stuff, we still go through it, you know. The days that you're sad, you're still going to have arguments with your loved ones, you're still going to get sick. Um, and it does impact your business, you know, but you can't show it, you know. I don't know how to explain that. Is that 
some days I know my productivity is not at the top because I have all of these other things in my mind that are personal things. But then I cannot show it to my team because what if I come in the meeting room like looking all depressed and stuff? No, I cannot do that. Um, so I think we need to emphasize also in, in that whole like support system that we need to create, like that support system or like maybe that emphasis on like founders or like, you know, entrepreneurs um, well-being is very, very, very like, I don't know. We need to like put it at the top of the list as well, you know, because um, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes, of course, I mean, I think that if we're entrepreneurs, we have a certain mindset, we're pretty like, you know, we're strong, whatever you want, you want to say, you know, pretty resilient in a way. Um, but it might reach a point because it just keeps accumulating, uh, the, then the business might have, like get consequences, you know, um, my English is not Englishing at some time of the hour, so excuse me. <laughs> uh, we have to we have to we have to remind the uh, the listeners that you speak what is it four languages? Five, five, and it's four. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't have to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> no, no, no. But um, but yeah, no. I think uh, you touched on a powerful point. Um, and when people think about entrepreneurship, they always think about you know, the highlight reel that people portray online, you know, where it's, it's a whole bunch of wins and no losses and, you know, people are doing all these amazing things. But, um, you know, part of it is, you know, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and, you know, instead of, you know, not addressing that, I think it's something that, mm -hmm. you know, as you described, should be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I guess as you know, the leader of, of your company, um, you did mention that, you know, you kind of have to, you know, show your team that, you know, things are still moving forward. Um, but I guess, how do you keep that resilience and how do you kind of stay inspired uh, to continue to push forward? Man, at this point, I really don't know. I really don't know because... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is it the caffeine that I'd be having in my body? I don't know because some days I know I haven't slept. I know like I've had like three mental breakdowns by 11 a.m. And still at 12, I have a meeting and I have to show up and I have to lead and I have to be, you know, be there 300%. So I, my answer is that entrepreneurs who make it, I mean, I haven't made it yet, but... I'm on the way. <laughs> like, it's, we, we do have superpowers, to be honest, because there's no way. You can't explain it. Everyone around me asks me, how do you do this? And I don't even know myself. Maybe possible answer is, like, the drive, you know, that we have and the motivation that sometimes it is so strong that regardless, you know, if you keep that focus in your mind, um you might be able actually, you know, to, to, to build that resilience and, and all that. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe, it might be that for me because my, I always try to remind myself the reason why I came here, you know, even when things don't go well is that I had one objective. I took so many risks, you know, I, I left a lot of things behind me. Um, and there's a reason why I did that, you know, and I do believe that everyone has a calling in this life. And 
my purpose is to answer my calling. You know, I I don't want to like grow in 40 years old and be like, damn, I was 20 something. I could have done this, this and this. But then I just, I was scared or like I, the breakdown was too much. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't want to have regrets um, and make sure that, you know, I live a fulfilled life. If that's, I can explain that. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And um, for me, one of the the pieces of content that really keeps me going is uh, there's some YouTubers that go to like old people homes and just ask them, you know, what were some of your biggest regrets and, you know, what do you wish you did differently? And for majority of them, you mm-hmm. know, they say, I wish I took more risks and, you know, took the chance on different things that... I should have done um and yeah i agree i don't want to be in that situation myself uh, when i'm when i'm at that age so hopefully we we uh, scratch that itch uh but yeah uh, switching gears a little bit um so now i know you're based here in rwanda um what's your relationship with uh belgium and let's say the west in general uh, I miss it, to be honest. There are a lot of things that I sit here and I'm like, I miss this and this. Um, but then I go back, you know, because I think I go every two times, yeah, twice a year. And when I go back, I'm reminded of why I, I don't live there, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's nice to, to just to change scenery because Randa Kigali sometimes can be also very um, overwhelming. And we live in a bubble. It's a small city. You do the same things all over and over. You, you know, you you see the same people all over and over, and that tiny environment can become so toxic that sometimes you need to escape, right? So it's nice to have those little escape to go back to your other country because we are privileged to have like two identities, two passports, to this, you know. So you go back and you you kind of like do a whole refresh, restart, but then you realize that uh, I cannot stay here. So again. <laughs> one month in and you book your ticket back um so yeah even though i miss it i know i know i cannot live there anymore um but i really appreciate like the few times i get to go there because then i get the brussels that i like you know the beautiful and positive brussels that i miss this is all that i get in one month maximum time frame and it's right in time to go back <laughs> and go back to business and yeah so as soon, as soon as the, the negative side of it starts popping oh, up, yeah. that's when you catch your plane out of there. I'm head out. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. Um, I do have one final question to, to wrap up the interview. But uh, before I ask, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Maybe we didn't get a, a chance to get to around maybe the transition, you know, moving back to Rwanda and, you know, maybe the stuff you're working on now or... You feel like we touched everything? Uh, I mean, I, I never want to spoil the things that I'm working on, you know. Uh, they'll always be my LinkedIn if you want to be updated on my program. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but on the whole moving, I don't know. I think I, I've really got to meet like great people in this like crazy jungle, like you, like other uh, amazing human beings who are doing amazing things. Um, but I still want to give like a special, like really a special mention to really black women because 
even in this whole entrepreneurial ecosystem, we don't get enough credits, you know, for the work that we have to put in, the amount of efforts that surpass whatever the man has to do. Um, and black women are built in a certain way that we know that we always have to put a wall and we always have to do, what do they say, twice as good to get whatever. That thing stays valid. Even when you move back to Africa because you're a woman, you still have to do twice as good as the men, even your fellow African brother, to get half of what he's going to have, you know? So special mention to all the female entrepreneurs here um, because we really don't get enough visibility. We don't get enough highlight and we're not supported enough, you know? And I think that, you know, our ideas, our innovation deserve way more credits. Um, And that is why I should be actually, you know, launching a female genius type of conversation around here but if people are interested you know we, we i think that would be a good idea to highlight more of like the other female geniuses um that are there and really amplifying their voice yeah perfect yeah you know i think uh first things first we should have started the podcast with that you know shout out to the black queens that are uh holding us down <laughs> and uh and yeah if you guys want to hear you know something more focused on that uh definitely let us know and um we can definitely facilitate that uh last question um when we look back at this era of the african renaissance that's kind of going on with people returning back to the continent uh, with the natives that are already building amazing things and building out infrastructure. Um, what role do you want to play in the history books? Man. <laughs> so it's a tough one. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's always the last question. <laughs> it is a nice question, but I, I don't want to sound too ambitious and, and too whatever, you know. I, I don't want to sound Kenya West, even though I really love Kenya West. I like Kenya West and you know that's why i call myself female genius but <laughs> i feel like this what i want to do is the part to flex it's the part <laughs> um i feel like i really want to be i want to be a leader man i want to be a pioneer in like all these amazing ideas and in the creative space and in the design space um and sometimes I sit down and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to be the blueprint, you know? <laughs> you never know. I but, um, I mean, people always find a way to like check and then uh, to check me and then, you know, I'll question myself. But uh, I'm, I'm convinced, really. I'm really convinced that if I have all these amazing ideas that come here, uh, if... I do have all the gifts, you know, uh, that I currently have. It's not for for nothing, you know. So I'm going to use that to the maximum. And even if, if I'm not going to be the whatever, the pioneer, the, you know, um, I hope I can at least empower a next generation and be a role model for a next generation to do twice as much as I'm currently doing and as I'm um, planning to do. So I think in this in this whole ecosystem and in this whole I think in this community in Kigali, um, Rwandan women especially, I really want to serve as a role model, 
and I hope that, yeah, someday someone will say, you know, I decided to, to venture in this because there was that lady called Elizabeth, but I will say who did this and this and this. <laughs> and then that's it. That's it. I'll have made it. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Uh, you heard it here first. Future uh, leader, maybe uh, president one day. <laughs> but uh, I doubt it. Thank you. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you. Yeah, uh, see you in a second. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. <laughs>